treasures, yams, and the stories of youth. If you appreciate the random, you're going to like this one. October 6, 2021. The Inspiration. Bad Days. If I keep my body moving and my mind occupied at all times, I will avoid falling into a bottomless pit of despair. Chris Traeger, Parks and Recreation. Aren't we all just running away from the bottomless pit of despair? No? Just me then? Gotcha. Look, I know, I usually use this space to tell you that you can climb that mountain and spike that football or whatever metaphor I'm into at the moment, but I realize as I move through life that not every day is a spike that football kind of day. Some days are, I'm going to sit home in my pajamas and watch Shit's Creek and not answer my phone kind of days. And that's okay. It's okay if you're just scrambling to keep out of a bottomless pit of despair. Let's not be toxically positive. Some days things suck hard and that's okay. That's life. That's how it goes. You're going to be okay. If today is one of those shitty days, you have permission to call in sick, eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's, fish food for the win, and just watch reruns of Parks and Rec and chill your shit out for a little while. It's okay. You can take a day off if that's what you need. The Fat Orange Cat. Trashy Treasure. You know that feeling when you own something that's trash to everyone else, but is of inestimable value to you? Maybe it's the earrings you wore on your first real date, or maybe it's Zipper, the beat-up stuffed leopard that your kid left behind when she went to college. Or maybe it's your dad's old watch that has been stuffed in a cardboard box since he died. Give one of those trashy treasures to your main character, and then take it away from them. The trope, flashbacks. Like most of the quote-unquote bad writing device tropes, flashbacks only have a bad rep because so many writers go to them for writer reasons rather than for story reasons. Writer reasons to go to flashback include but are not limited to. The writer wants to explain something from the past, exposition. The writer wrote a great piece of discovery writing that takes place before the now of the story and they want to include it. The writer isn't sure what to write, so they go into the past while they figure it out and then forget or don't know that it's discovery writing. That said, a great way to use flashback is to tell two parallel stories that reflect on each other. We bop back and forth between two complete narratives, two narratives that each have their own protagonist and antagonist and a central narrative conflict that is resolved by the end of the story. And those two complete narratives each illuminate the other, creating a deeper overall narrative. Like I said, not always bad. Just be careful how you use it. The question. Random questions. All right. You guys are busy. I get it. But when you don't ask me questions, I'm going to head over to the journal prompt generator at Reddit all and see what comes up. God knows I should journal more. What book setting would you like to visit if you could? JPG. Dear JPG, I have a problem with this question uh, because the answer came to me absolutely immediately with no hesitation whatsoever, and I'm not proud of my answer. I want to think again and provide a cooler answer that isn't so very on-brand middle-aged white lady, but I am what I am. 
Speaking of which, what even are yams? Are they just another name for sweet potato? Do we need another name for sweet potato? Sweet potato is really enough, and it's so descriptive, whereas yams are, yes, I'm stalling. Geez, all right already, Longborn. <sighs> Look, I know, every middle-aged white lady wants to be in Pride and Prejudice, and I know it was not a great time for women. Not every Elizabeth got a Darcy, and England has always been a global imperialist nightmare, but especially during those times, and it's so fucking classist. I mean, these quote-unquote Poor people have goddamn servants. And it's all fucked if you think about it for even a minute. I know. I know. My answer stands. I swore I wouldn't lie to you. So yes, I want to spend the day wearing empire waist dresses and reading books and doing embroidery and learning how to play the piano forte and taking turns around my five acre garden and then coming in at night and drinking tea by the fire while I giggle with my sisters and be surrounded by men who speak in English accents. I'm not proud of it. But that is my answer. Everything. L. The Practical. An Escape from Cynicism. I've recently gotten into the Netflix TV show Sex Education, which I've been hearing about for a while. And besides appreciating that Gillian Anderson is just as hot now as ever she was, it's gotten me thinking about why stories about teenagers are so popular. Teen shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Glee and Freaks and Geeks. Movies like To All the Boys I've Loved Before and Lady Bird and Booksmart. And books, Twilight, Harry Potter, The Fault in Our Stars, The Catcher in the Rye, The Hunger Games. You could say that we're culturally obsessed with youth, and I'm not going to argue that we don't have a real issue with devaluing older people in their stories, but I think that's kind of a pat answer that doesn't think beyond a blanket, snobby hand wave. I think we love these stories because we love discovery. Even as those of us who are older watch these kids explore things that we've long since gotten past, there is something about both the newness of it and the lack of hard-earned and realistic cynicism that feels good to visit. I mean, even the most cynical of youth-centered stories, like, say, Freaks and Geeks, is not about how wonderful and lovely and exciting the world is, but rather how depressing and fucked up the world is. But it's still about that discovery, the moments when we move from childhood into the world as it is, when we finally drop our cloak of innocence and enter the world as adults, is kind of exciting. It was a time when we had our feet firmly planted in two worlds, the real world with all its grunge and danger that we were just beginning to understand, and the world of possibility and hope that existed solely because our choices hadn't yet limited us. It's not an obsession with youth, I don't think. I think these stories help us reconnect to our own sense of hope and possibility. I think they remind us that just because we've made choices doesn't mean that we don't still have more choices open to us. If you think you're too old for something now, for anything, it's just not true. There are two states of being, alive and not. If you are the former, there are still things for you to do, to discover, to experience for the first time, even if it's something you've done before, because you haven't done it as the you that you are now. You're either here or you're not. Some people are both here and not because they've forgotten that they are still here. I think our enjoyment of stories of youth are not a yearning, they're a reminder, telling us that potential is never lost, and hope is always right here where you left it. Your now is always yours to use as you will. So how are you going to use it? Everything out.
the rumble. I think a well-placed Jurassic Park reference is always valuable, don't you? October 9th, 2021. Dear writer, there have been points in my life when I'm on the cusp of major transition, and I've always felt it like that moment in Jurassic Park when the surface on the water begins to rumble, and it's a small thing in and of itself, but you know what it means. It means the big thing is coming. It's been a while since I felt this in a way that wasn't also accompanied by terror and panic and not being sure what the hell was going on. In other words, it's been a while since the rumble was internally generated rather than externally generated. But I remember feeling this, hmm, how would I describe it? Positive unease? Is unease even a word? Yes, yes it is. And I have it. Positive unease, the low hum of anxiety I feel when I'm about to drastically change my life in a deliberate and wanted way. I know things are changing, and I know I'm making them change. I know the changes are good and chosen and deliberate. I mean, people who choose to bungee jump must feel that, even as they stand on the edge of the bridge they have every intention of jumping from, and they know they're going to love it. I imagine there's still a moment of positive unease, the lizard part of your brain that is shouting, not safe, not safe, not safe. But here's the thing. There are different kinds of safety, and one of them is counterproductive. I believe in physical and emotional safety. Things or people in our lives or environments that hurt us repeatedly are bad, and we should get away from them. But there's a different kind of safety that is presented as safety, but isn't really safety. It's just anti-risk. And anti-risk is anti-growth. And growth, I mean, hell, if you're not going to grow, what are you even here for? I'm about to take some big risks in my life. I'm changing my business model. I'm hopefully quitting my day job soon, selling my house, moving somewhere. I don't know where yet. I'm trading a predictable anti-risk life for a life that is full of risk, and I literally can't wait. But also... <sighs> I've never really been an anti-risk kind of person. My entire life has been pretty high risk. I mean, I won't jump off a bridge with my ankle attached to some cord because I do not personally understand why anyone would do that ever. But a lot of people don't understand why I do what I do. So you do you, babe, if that's you. I'm sorry, what was I saying? I got distracted by my extreme anxiety at even thinking about jumping off a bridge. Anyway, yes. I've lived my entire life in risk, and some of it has worked out great, and other times I married a sociopath. And because of that one monumental disaster, my response to the risk meter tipping a bit is to have a complete anxiety attack. That happened this morning when I realized that I really want to write again. Like novels, proper fiction. I'm having story ideas, which I haven't had like this in a long time. When the House Story Works book is out, I'm going to hit the ground running with all my plans to make it possible for me to quit my job and sell my house and go off to a place where I can live quietly and cheaply and just create for a living. That's the dream. And it's happening. I am making it happen. I am the rumble. The rumble is me. And it's all going to be okay. Everything else.